0: Uh, Greetings. My name's Adam Draycott and you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. Uh, This has been prepared for the 16th of July, 2023. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 47. It says, clap your hands, O peoples, shout out with loud songs of joy. Let's praise God with a loud song of joy now. Thank Let us pray. Father, you call your children to walk in the light of Christ. Free us from darkness. Keep us in the radiance of your truth. And we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's word, we continue our series in the book of of acts i'll be preaching through chapters 21 22 and 23 today lots of territory to cover so i invite you please uh, to pause uh, this video and read through those chapters Uh, i highly recommend that if you're in church watching this uh, and you don't have time to read three chapters can i commend to you acts chapter 22 beginning at verse 30 and ending at chapter 23, verse 11. Uh, That would be a good thing to do. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Father God, uh, we pray that we would use this time well. Please grow us in Christ. Show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. That you be glorified, and we ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, In July two thousand and sixteen, I was in the old city of Jerusalem, and you can see some pictures on the screen now uh, of the Wailing Wall. This is a remnant of Herod's temple. Uh, Prayers are written in on paper and squished into the rocks as an offering to God. You can even go down into some catacombs. Uh, You can still see the wall there. Uh, And this is where the girls get a go. Uh, I stood before this wall and I remembered the words of Jesus. Luke 13 verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. That word desolate is powerful. It means empty, wretched and unhappy. And Jesus's words are true back then and amidst wailing, they remain true today. And so here is a good prayer for us. We can pray. Father, we praise you that the gospel is for all nations, including the Jews. And we pray that all would embrace the name of Jesus as the one true Messiah. Father, please turn their wailing into dancing, such as their response and embrace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts chapter 21, 22, 23. We are in Jerusalem. And we should be asking, what on earth is going on? From the beginning, we've seen the gospel. Uh, Begin in Jerusalem. It goes out to Judea. It goes out to Samaria. It keeps going out. And where else is it supposed to go? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's supposed to go to the ends of the earth. Paul has now completed three missionary journeys into Asia. He is gone into Europe. He is gone. The gospel keeps going out. And so what are we doing in Jerusalem? This feels like a departure from the program, an interruption. And so where to ask why? What is going on? Let me give you two answers. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, the Apostle Paul says, Now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Man, there's a why right there. But there is another reason and the answer comes from Romans chapter 15. I know it's Romans, you're excited. Paul writes about wanting to go to Spain, which is to the ends of the earth, really. Uh, But with a Roman stopover, he wants to go and see the church in Rome. And there he also says he wants to go to Jerusalem first because he's got a gift for Jerusalem. It's a financial contribution from Gentile churches that he's planted and visited. Uh, it's a gift to the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem, because there was a famine. Acts 11, it's, it's all there. So this is about me, but it's also about bridging the bonds of fellowship between uh, the, the Jewish and Gentile believers. And so Romans chapter 15 verse 31 becomes important for what we meet next. In verse 31, Paul writes, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea uh and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received uh, by the Lord's people there. And so we ask, well, how is that going to go? We're about to find out in these chapters. I hope you're excited. Will their prayers be answered? And what about the gospel to the ends of the earth? Indeed. In chapter 21, uh, Paul and his mates have departed Ephesus. And it's a time of great sadness, but they're on their way now. So verse uh, chapter 21, verse 3 and 4, let's pick it up. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days through the spirit they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Of course, it's understandable. It's a departure from the program. Maybe verse 4 reflects the actual prayers of people. Paul's life is at risk. Jerusalem's not the end of the earth. So why go, bro? What what are you doing? This can't be God's will for you. Can you hear it? Ah. Let's pick it up at verse 10 now. We meet Agabus. Uh, After we've been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus from chapter 11 came down from Judea coming over to us. He took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it. And he said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Verse 12, when he heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. They know the risen Jesus can roadblock Paul anytime he likes. They know that. Do you know that? Do we remember Mark chapter 8? Where Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem uh, where I'll be where I will suffer and be rejected. And Peter says, No way! Now imagine if Peter had actually replied, Oh, the Lord's will be done. I trust you, Jesus. I know you're across this. You're never out of your depth, Jesus. Imagine if he said that. That would have been something. It's not what happened though, is it? Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter needed to learn the difference between having in mind the concerns of God and merely human concerns. Mark 8 verse 33. The Lord's will be done. Is that your prayer? Do our prayers echo the very heart of God and God's concerns and God's concern for his glory. Do we pray like that? Are we able to pray? I trust you, Jesus. I know you've got this. You are never out of your depth. In the next section, I want us to look at we land in Jerusalem. Uh, We're going to verses uh, 17 to 26. And if you've read it, you'll know there's a question here because Paul's going to the temple. He's going through the motions of purification rites. And we wonder, has he capitulated? What's he doing? Is he playing a political game of keeping up appearances in order to placate his opponents? Is that what he's doing? Is he trying to avert hostility? Answer, no way. Think better of Paul, please. Look at verse 20. Paul is told, many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. Notice, these are not unbelievers. These Jews are believers. So then whatever action follows is not for the benefit of his opponents. Like that's going to work. No, it is for the benefit of Jewish believers. Learn the difference. What is the presenting issue? Well, verse 21, Jewish believers have been told that this ratbag Paul teaches all the Jews to turn away from Moses. Don't get circumcised. And it's got a ring of truth about it, doesn't it? But, Hey, if you're Timothy, If you're Timothy, this is where Timothy jumps in and says, uh, Hello, I've got news for you. I can can prove to you otherwise. That's not where Paul is at. We should know that's not where Paul is at. We should know that Paul is consistent. That circumcision does not make you right with God. Only Jesus does. That message hasn't changed. But where it serves the preaching of the gospel, especially weaker brothers who might be uh, Jewish believers, Paul's going to do anything to serve them and to serve the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. Paul writes, I'm free to belong to no one. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible to the Jews. I became like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law. I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ. So as to win those not having the law. It's about winning others. And we see this principle all through our passage, right? So if you look at verses 37 and 38 of chapter 21, Paul will be a Greek speaker because he can speak Greek. Uh, He'll be a city slicker from Troas, verse 39. Both of those things mean that he's not an Egyptian terrorist, which is a good thing. He'll speak Aramaic in chapter 21, verse 40 to the Jews. Uh, He'll claim Roman citizenship in chapter 22, verses 27 to 29. And yeah, it will mean he doesn't get flogged. But notice it does open the door to meeting with the Sanhedrin in chapter 23. He'll even identify as a Pharisee in chapter 23, verse 6. He will make himself all things to all people so that he can declare the one outrageous truth that he keeps preaching. You see it there in chapter 23, verse 6. Can you see it? Paul says, uh, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, because the Sadducees didn't believe in spiritual things. They so didn't believe in resurrection either. He says, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection from the dead. Now, he has actually said as much in chapter 22. Chapter 22 is his big speech to the crowd. In verse 4, he says, I I used to persecute Christians. In verse 7, he says he met the risen Christ on the Damascus road. So there he's preaching resurrection again. Jesus says, why do you persecute me? verse 18, at the temple, the Lord appeared there too. See, Jesus is risen. And what did Jesus say there in verse 18? He said, leave Jerusalem immediately. The people there will not not accept your testimony. And then verse 27, the Lord said, go to the Gentiles. Do we see that the resurrection of Jesus is not a welcome truth they want to hear? In fact, it's so unwelcome. Chapter 22, verse 22. They cry, rid the earth of him. There is a riot that unfolds. They're flinging dust in the air. They're baying for blood. In chapter 23, before the Sanhedrin, there is an uproar there as well. In fact, some are so unhappy in verse 14, they're going to make a vow, nil by mouth, until Paul is dead. Why are they so upset? Why are they so unhappy? It's the same reason. Paul is preaching the resurrection. He is preaching that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is alive. See the real issue in their opposition. Their issue at stake is not Paul and his behaviour. The real issue is that the one called Jesus rose from the dead. The hope of Israel, the Messiah, the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about the one who is the light that's coming to the world, the light for both Israel and the nations, that Messiah, that one that Israel rejected, guess what? He's alive. And this is a massive deal. He is risen means you got him wrong. You got him wrong. More, he is ascended to God's right hand where he rules with authority and power. All right. Israel's Messiah then is not the exclusive property of Israel. And the Jews, no, he rules all nations. He's for everybody. Which means he rules you. That you're not the king of you. Jesus is the king of you. How does that, how does that work for you? Does that give you a rub? Well, rub these guys big time. Did you see the part where Paul got smacked in the mouth? Chapter 23, verse 2-3 to three. At this the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to, to strike him in the mouth and then Paul said to him God will strike you, you whitewashed wall Oh how's that for an insult? What does that mean? We'll talk about that He says you sit here and judge me according to the law yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I'll be struck He's calling them a hypocrites Paul is riffing on Ezekiel chapter 13 Yeah, Ezekiel, the Lord says to Ezekiel in chapter 13, verse 10. The Lord says, because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. So they're shallow. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it's going to come down. Verse 14, I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash. And I will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you'll be destroyed in it. And you'll know that I am the Lord. I'll say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it. Paul is very specific. This is a specific sledge. They should know what this means. He's saying, Your leadership is weak, your leadership is unstable, and God is against you, and God is going to end you. You're going to be destroyed. All of this is going to go. What exists is superficial and shallow and it's all coming down. And Jerusalem will be gone. And the temple will be gone. And you'll be gone too. Wow. Why? Because Jerusalem is ever always consistent, persistent in its rejection of the Messiah. True in the days of Jesus, true in the days of Paul. Nothing's changed. Now take a deep breath, because I want to talk about Star Wars just for a moment. The Force Awakens is a Star Wars movie. All the way through The Force Awakens, when I watched it with my kids, it was so exciting, because it kept recalling all of the old original Star Wars stuff throughout the new movie. I'm watching the old movie. It's really strange. When it came out as a new movie, it retold all the old stories. It was amazing. Do we see this happening in these chapters? As we meet these chapters, let me explain. Have we met this story before? Let me ask you that. Let me try. Once upon a time, we meet our hero and his band of disciples. The leader is compelled to get to go to Jerusalem and to be handed over, suffer and be rejected. Sound familiar? Uh, Some disciples protest, but he goes anyway. And on his arrival in Jerusalem, that is warm and welcome. But there's a scene of disruption at the temple that follows. Lies, false accusations spread through all the city as the identity of our hero is muddied. The leader is arrested by the Romans. Even a terrorist appears. He appears before the Sanhedrin. And before the Sanhedrin, his face is slapped. Jerusalem is the scene of mob violence and hostility. People swear an oath to kill our hero. And also in this story, the band of disciples become remarkably quiet. And it doesn't seem like it's going to end well for our hero because the people want to rid the earth of him. Do you see what I did there? That's Acts chapter 21, 22, 23. But you know it's also the story of Jesus. And then I want to ask you now, do you see Luke's strategy? Luke is in the text bringing to the fore deliberately all this recall about Jesus and his experience. They're meant to be triggers. And they remind us, again, the violence of Jerusalem we've been here before. It triggers the memory of this terrible death that Jesus experienced. Christ crucified. But also the one who said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three. See, Jesus is not dead Jesus is risen. And as Paul returns to the scene of the crime, if you like, and as he relives this somewhat, see the difference. The key difference is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Dr. Luke is saying, don't bother with Herod's temple. Forget about it. Move on. It is desolate. The words of Jesus are true. In less than 10 years, it's going to be gone anyway. But the one who was crucified is not. No, he is alive. And he lives and he rules. The risen Jesus is where you can meet with God, not the temple. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humanity by which we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. Man, there's no stopping Jesus. How many times is Paul rescued in this story? In these chapters? Four times. Look them up. We don't have time to cover them. But friends, time and time again, we are reminded, despite hostility, despite evil, despite people doing their absolute worst. It is God who directs. It is God who guarantees the success Of the church's mission. Here is another reminder that no matter how dark the days are, no matter how impossible the church's mission seems to be, that Jesus is never out of his depth. And so we should be praying with confidence the Lord's will be done. We should be praying that prayer with great confidence and with great joy the Lord's will be done. We must persist with our witness. We must expect opposition. But we do it knowing that we're on team Jesus. We're his co-workers. And that he will see his purposes fulfilled. The book of Acts are the acts of the risen Christ. Nothing stops Jesus. Not threats. Not rejection. Not poisonous machinations of awful people. Not death. Yes, it's an away game every time. But the victory always belongs to Jesus. Here is the very last thing I promise. Look at chapter 23, verse 11. Do you see the risen Christ directing Paul? And he says, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. Here is the answer to, Paul, to the Roman church's prayers. Here is the prayer for a world that knows Jesus. That's the program. It hasn't changed. And Paul has played his part and we must as well. Again, the Roman church prayed to this end and maybe that's our part too. Maybe we stand in their shoes as we read this. and Maybe it reminds us of our important partnerships with Andy and Margie and Gil and Ruth and Open Doors and BCA and North Cagesi and Compassion. They are all good things for us to be enjoying we must be praying for gospel work globally but also gospel work locally we must be praying about the unearthed event that God would use that to see people turn to Christ and live that we would partner and be part of that but there's an ingredient that's commanded us commanded to take up what's the ingredient That you're called to take up i think verse 11 and it's the ingredients of courage we don't need courage for the concerns of men we need courage for the concerns of god in these chapters jesus gives us every reason to have courage because jesus is trustworthy he is risen he is alive and he continues his work through his spirit-empowered witnesses. And that includes me, and I pray it includes you as well. Brothers and sisters, take courage. Friends, I encourage you to enter into a time of prayer. There will be a blue screen that follows uh, with some pointers to pray for things like our government, our world, our community, our mission partners, which we've already mentioned. Acts 21, 22 and 23 is a great encouragement for us to be praying about global mission, but also our local mission in our uh, immediate communities. And we do it because Jesus is risen and so we pray Lord your will be done
1: My strength to cost a fee